Today, church, we are uh, going to be wrapping up our sermon series that we started this month. It's entitled, entitled Soul Detox. And today we're going to be looking at the seduced soul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says this to us, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Today, church, uh, this is going to be one of those certain kind of messages. <laughs> Sometimes the messages that we need to hear are actually the most difficult for us to recognize personally. Because we always think like, yeah, I know who that was for. Or this was for that person. You know, I think this is going to be one of those messages. And, and this is also a message, church, that it, it'll be really easy for you to walk out of here and brush it off. You really will be able to do that. You can sit there and say, man, that was good and, and everything. But, you know, I'm going to go on with my life. It's going to be one of those kind of messages. But I want to encourage you, to you today to ask God if there's something he wants to show you today through his word. The key point that we've been talking about this whole month is this, that, you know what, we are not a body with a soul, but instead we are a soul that has a body. And so in this month, I mean, today we're going to be looking at that, that soul detox, and we're going to be talking about, again, like I told you, the seduced soul. Church, every time I ever hear that word seduced, you know, it takes me back to the Bible. We know King David, right? We know Joseph. Well, there's all these characters in the Bible that was seduced, and what that means is it's somebody who, who has been enticed, somebody who saw something that they wanted, and they're so easily kind of drug off to that. And so as we talk about the seduced soul, I want you to realize that each and every one of us can be seduced by the enemy. In Exodus 20, if you want to turn there with me today, we're going to kick it off right here in the commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's pretty cut and dry, right? God's saying, listen, nobody should be above me. You have no other gods before me. But he decided, because he knows how we are, that he needs to explain that a little bit better, okay? Because in verse 4, he says this, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. So God said, don't have any other gods before him. But he says, you know what? My people, they're, they're not real smart sometimes. So I'm going to clarify it to them. You don't make an image of anything that's in the sky, nothing that's below on the earth. And we're going to take it even deeper for you, church. You don't make an image of anything that's in the water either. So we should not make for ourselves an idol, church, in the form of anything. Why are our souls so vulnerable. You and I, every single person can hear my voice. Why are our souls so vulnerable to worshiping or being seduced by idols? Why are we like that? It's because our souls, church, they are created to connect with and worship with the one true God. You realize that God created you specifically to worship him. You know, I know people say, oh, I was created to be a teacher. Or, you know, I was created to be this. No, you really weren't. You were created to worship God, and then all that other stuff is extra. He gave you gifts and talents for you to use in certain areas. So we are worshipers. And see, church, worshipers, worship isn't just something we do. Worship isn't just something we do. We are created to worship. And see, worship doesn't mean just singing at church on Sundays and lifting up your hand. Man, it's so much more than that. 
That is a form of worship. You can worship that way. See, anytime that our souls are filled and we want to express that. See, worship is this. Worship is an expression of adoration for a deity. It's like you're really looking at that man like that amazes me. You know, my God is so good. You know, you ever had like adoration towards somebody? You know, I, I look at my wife and I adore my wife. I do. I adore my wife. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll be, you know, we'll be sitting at home and she'll be grading papers or whatever she does in the evenings. And, you know, it'll kind of just hit me. You ever get those moments? I think you get them more when you're older too. I'm kind of looking at him like, man, I like what I got. You know what I mean? And I'll kind of be staring at her maybe with a look on my face and, and she'll look up and see me. She'll go, what? <laughs> What's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. I just, I like you. You know, I, I like looking at you. Right? It, it, that means it's adoration. It, it's an expression of adoration for a deity. That's what worship is. And see, anytime that our souls, church, are filled with anything, when your soul is filled with anything but God, our souls are drawn to and seduced by counterfeits. They're drawn to and seduced by counterfeits. That is why many of us, we can have our lives filled with so many things. I mean, you, you got it all, right? You got all these things in your life, but yet we can be empty on the inside, can't we? Man, you, you look like at Hollywood. These people got millions of bucks. They got fancy cars, wonderful plastic surgeons, don't they? They look good. But yet they're also empty. They have everything you could possibly want, yet they are empty. And see, that is because of the things of the world can't satisfy our souls. The things on this earth honestly cannot satisfy your soul. You might like them. You might enjoy some of them. But it's not going to satisfy your soul. The soul was created to be satisfied with the one true God. So that is why God said, you shall have no other idols. So in other words, he's saying, don't put anything before me. And you know, I want to take you to Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And it says this in verse 16. It says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman. So I want to stop there. So God, again, is telling us, you don't make any idols, people. You make none. So he's going to. Again, describe it because you're a little dense sometimes, so am I. He says, you don't make it of a man, you don't make it of a woman, an animal of the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. Man, he's describing it to you. Don't do any of that. And then he says in verse 19, and when you look up into the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worship, worshiping them either. The Lord your God gave them all to the peoples of the earth. And it's not for us to worship, church. He's saying, don't you dare be seduced to the worshiping them. That, that phrase is so important, church. That, that phrase seduced, enticed, drawn in, brought to, right? It, it, you just have to have that. But see, most of us, we're not going to be worshiping some small animal on the ground, are we? We're not. Most of us won't go out and look up in the sky tonight and, and pick out a star and say, man, I'm going to worship that. See, but we are actually seduced into something. We are, church, all of us. We can be seduced into worshiping something that isn't the one true God. I mean, let's be honest, right? When you look at the Old Testament, when you look at that Old Testament, it, 
the adultery in the Old Testament, it's kind of dumb to me. I mean, think about it. I'm like, man, it, why in the world would I take all the gold that I have and make a calf? Calves are cute, right? But why would I make a calf and worship it, right? I got no problems with this. I'm not going to get a pole and put a, a figurine on it, worship it. I'm not going to do any of those kinds of things. So when I look at it and I say, that's dumb. I'm not even tempted by that. See, it's so irrelevant in our world today, these idols that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, that we become very secure, maybe I should say, false security. And so we don't battle with the sin of idolatry. You're not trying to battle because you're like, I ain't going to worship no golden cow, right? I ain't going to do none of that. So I ain't going to worry. That's one thing easy. Check mark it off the list. I ain't going to worry about that. So we're not fighting it. We're not planning attacks against it. We're not thinking of ways to escape it. And so the reason we don't recognize it, church, is because we get seduced into it. See, we can't even see our own idolatry in the mirror sometimes. We've been seduced into worshiping a counterfeit. And I want to give you some examples of this. You know, I, I read a story just this week about a guy. He went to a remote uh, village in India. And so he gets to this remote village of India. And he met this lady who was sacrificing chickens to a false god. She had a little altar set up. And this lady, she actually raised the chickens just so she could sacrifice him and this guy was like wow you know I've heard about this but now I'm actually seeing something like this and he thought man this is idolatry in the most obvious place she's raising these chickens to actually sacrifice him so this guy got into a conversation with the woman and and she figured out very quickly that she was from the United States of America and then as they were talking she said yeah I visited your country and so this guy, you know, hey, I'm finding some common ground with this lady. And, and he said, so how did you like America? She said, I hated it with all my heart. I hated it with all my heart. It's the most disgusting place I've ever been. I'll never go back. And this guy said, why? Why do you hate it so bad? She said this. She said, it is the most adulterous nation on this earth. And he looked at her and he thought, lady, here you are sacrificing chickens to some false god, and you're going to tell me that my country is adulterous. So she decided that, that she was going to clarify it even a little bit more, and she said, you know what? It's everywhere in your country. Idolatry is everywhere in your country. She said, you worship your stomachs. Most of everyone in your country is overweight. Food is your god. You talk about it. You dream about it. You got mega stores built for it, right? You, you worship your sports teams. You build these fabulous temples for your sports teams and in your homes she said you have these little altars sometimes in every room little altars that you worship and he said what do you mean she said you know what you hang it on the wall and you plug it in and then you and your family put chairs around and you gather around it and you watch it for hours upon hours and this guy was dumbfounded that she couldn't see her own idolatry. And church, isn't it true we're the same way? We can see other people's idolatry, but we, we, we can't see others. See, we've been seduced. We really have. We've been seduced into evaluating 
and elevating even what might be good things, church, into supreme things. God really has blessed us as a nation, but sometimes we've taken those blessings of things and we have elevated them into something supreme. Something supreme. So even without knowing it, sometimes we lift things above our God in our own hearts. So church, we have a seduced soul. Now Jesus, he asked this question, and I shared it with you last week, but man, it's a good one. So I'm going to share it with you again. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he said this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? That you can have it all, but yet you're giving up your soul for it. So I believe today, church, it's time for a little soul detox. We're going to talk about some heavy stuff. I really, this whole week, I've been praying, honestly praying for each and every one of us that we can recognize the idolatry in our lives. And I hope the Spirit of God is even going to convict us in some of these things. Convict us in some of these things. So how do we dethrone? How do we get rid of the things that have seduced our souls? The first and obvious thing that we need to do is this. We need to learn to identify the idols of our souls. The things that you and I that we are putting above God. The things that are consuming us. The things that we have elevated to a supreme place and something that rates higher than the one true God in our lives. Now, I don't want you looking at your neighbors. I want you to focus on yourself this morning. Psalm 24 says this to us. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. It says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? I love when God makes it really clear in his word. I mean, you, have, you don't have to second guess and you don't have to wonder. Let me look at six other verses to see if I can match it up here. He says, here's who can stand in his holy place. Here can who, here's who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, heart and does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. That's who it is. It's the one who doesn't lift that up. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for, for you and I. What are we going to talk about? What we are going to talk about it is very easy for us to justify, even rationalize, and we can easily bring all kinds of excuses of some of the things in our lives that aren't idols. I don't know about you guys. I am the king of justification. <laughs> I look for justification in everything. The Lord always convicts me in it too. The reality is, if we can have some interest, interest in things that, that are not idols. But you know what? Many of us in our lives, there are these things that become so important. They become so, so important to us. It's actually very, very dangerous to our souls, and we don't even realize it. So what I want to do is give you three kinds of things so that you can look and see. This might be a clue for you, all right? So you can look and see if you're idolizing something. And what I would do is this. I would encourage you to look at this. Number one, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? I've had so many people, one of the famous things preachers will hear from people like, man, I really want to get in the word. I do. I know I, I got to get in the word, but I don't have time. You know, I, I really don't. You make time. 
right? You, you make time for those things. How do you spend your money? What is it that you spend your money on? And how do you spend your conversation? You'll find the vast majority of your time is always focused on the same thing. If you got an idol in your life, it, the, the vast majority of your time, you will drill in, you will focus, you will spend so much time on, on the same thing. Maybe you look at your, your bank account and you realize, like, man, I'm spending a lot of money in one direction. Maybe that could be a clue for you. You spend all this money in one direction, but yet you're, you're not spending any of your money on God or, or the things of helping his people. But it's all going this one thing. Maybe you find yourself in, in conversation with people, and the conversation always drifts to this certain point in your life. Maybe it's your favorite hobby. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Because if God is really important to you, if he really is important to you, let's be honest, your conversation will tend to drift towards him. It will tend to drift, drift towards him. See, your conversation always drifts to what's most important to you. And if it's drifting away from God to something else, it might be worth for you to pay attention to. Not sure what it might be for you. I know what it is for me. I'm not sure what it might be for you. Maybe for some people, you're literally into seduced into worshiping the home that you live in. You know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a nice home. Please don't confuse what I'm saying today, church. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home, but if this is obsessive to you and you have to find the next best thing, everything has to be perfect, you know what? It's yard of the month kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You obsess about those things coming to my house, so I'm going to be consumed with, with the way it looks, the way it smells, the way I'm presenting it to you, consumed with your homes. Maybe for some of you, it's your image. You are consumed by your image. I'm talking about you got to have the tan, the look, the hair, the, the little piercing here or there, whatever it might be, the shoes, the purse. you got to have that perfect outfit. It is the constant worry about the way we look and what people think about us. That might be your idol, church. For some, it might even be our children. It could easily be your children. It's unquestionably important. Your children are important. But our whole life revolves around our kids to the point that we're kind of bowing down and worshiping our children. They, they should be important. They need to be important. Don't confuse what I'm saying. But they should not be elevated to the supreme place in your life. Because, see, if we don't know God personally, as a parent, if you do not know God personally, we can never give our children, you'll never be able to give your children truly truly what they need to become who they are supposed to be by the creator. If you don't know God, you're not going to be able to show them how to do that. You know, it could be your hobbies. Whatever you do on Saturday, maybe it's Saturday, whatever you do on Saturday, I mean, you haven't missed this thing forever. You schedule everything around your hobby on Saturday. Nothing can touch it. You know that's my time, right? But you know, getting to church, <laughs> eh, if we can make it, we'll be there. If, if we can make it. For some of you, it's your online identity. I think younger people struggle with this way more. You know, how many followers do you have? You know, how many people retweeted you? You know, man, God's so good today. <laughs> I got 70 likes on a picture that I posted. You know, it, it might be something. How many, how many people are following you on Instagram? 
Are people loving your pictures, right? Some of us, church, it might be a dysfunctional relationship with your iPhone. It might be. With your smartphone, you constantly have to be in it. It can be a number of things, church. It could be your, your success in a career. It could be pursuit of wealth. So what I'm asking you to do today, I'm asking you to be really, really honest with yourself. I'm encouraging you this morning to talk about this. If you suspect you have a, an idol in your life, man, you go to a close friend, you, you go to a mentor, a small group. What is it, church, that you and I, all of us here, what are we putting in front of God? You got to name your idol is what you got to do. You got to pick it out. See, it, it will just be really transparent with you. I, me personally, for much of my life, I idolized the opinions of other people. I did. I was so worried about the opinions that they had of me. I wanted everyone to like me. And let me tell you what, it was intensified. It was magnified when I got into ministry. I mean, I've been in ministry 11 years, now I've gone on 12. And, and, and when I got in there, man, it was intensified. It was kind of like, oh, did I do well in my sermon? You know, you know do you like me? <laughs> Yeah, if someone after church, I stand at the door, if nobody that day told me that it was a good sermon, man, it crushed me. I would go home and just worry about that all day. I was so worried about the opinions of other people in my lives, I idolized it. And for the most part, I'll be honest with you today, for the most part, God and a couple of really good friends, they beat that out of me. They beat that out of me. You, I want you to like me, but you don't have to. <laughs> It, you don't have to, for real. You know, I'm not up here preaching so you'll like me. It's obvious by my content. Sorry, not sorry. I've recognized for me, it's about fulfilling a calling in my life. That God has called me to something. See, everyone can't like me. But I am not called to live for the approval of people. You are not called to live for the approval of people. We are called to live for the approval of God. The one true God, the one who sits on the throne. See, I had to dethrone the idol in my life in order to do what God called me to do. I had to get rid of that. Another idol for me in my life, it was the false God of security. I was obsessed with it when I was younger. You know, I wanted to have no debt and had enough money to feel secure. You know what I'm talking about? And you know what, church? It was never enough. It was never enough. And so I would have no debt. And if I had $3,000 in the bank, man, I was doing good, I thought. I thought, man, this is phenomenal. And then I realized something. I realized I can't have enough paid off and enough in the bank to make me feel secure. It was because I was putting my heart into something that can't satisfy. Something that can't satisfy me. See, God, I figured this out. God has to be my security. Man, he really woke me up on that one. Lots of money lost, lots of things down the tubes. But he woke me up and said, I'm your security. It's not money. I am. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. So I want you to pray today, church. I want you to take a very humble, a very sincere stance before God, and you say to him, you say, God, what is it in my life? 
What is it in my life that I've been seduced in my soul and I don't even see it right now? I don't see it, Lord. I want you to point it out. And once you identify it, church, once you recognize that you have an idol in your life, what is it that seduced your soul? The Bible teaches us what we can do when we figure out about those idols in our lives. The Bible teaches us this, that we tear down our idols. We tear down our idols. God doesn't ask us to to manage our idols, but he tells you, you tear them down, you destroy them. Too many times we wanna manage those. I I knew a guy several years back, he really struggled with pornography and and we talked about, man, he would tell me like, I gotta kick this, I gotta get over it. And and, and we would set up things for him to, to get over that struggle in his life. And what would happen is he kept falling back into it. So he suddenly came to the realization that he had to destroy that idol. He, had to, he couldn't manage it because he, he said, well, I'll only take my laptop to work and I'll leave it at work so I'm not tempted when I go home. Or, you know, I'll, I'll put my iPhone somewhere else on the counter where I can't see it. But you know what the enemy loves to do? He loves to seduce us with those things. This guy realized the enemy was constantly seducing him. He was managing it and it was still sitting over there. And the enemy was like, well, psh, over here. I'm over here. You can still have it. It's not that big a deal. This guy realized the only way that he was going to overcome his problem was to get rid of all of it. He got rid of his laptop. He got rid of his smartphone. Now he's got a dumb phone. You know what I'm talking about? A little flip top. You you only call on it. That's what a phone's for. He had to get rid of all those things. He had to destroy that idol in his life. He had to tear it down. So it's getting rid of anything that is more important in your life than God. God told Gideon something, and I really like this. In Judges, if you'll look at this with me, in Judges, it tells us this. Judges chapter 6, verse 25, it says this. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. He said, Gideon, destroy it. Don't just ignore it. Don't just set it off the side. You get rid of it. You destroy that. It's that attitude that I'm not going to let this separate me anymore from my God. I'm not going to let this separate me from my God. And so people, they were worshiping all these false gods. And God's saying, you tear it down. You destroy it. You, you get rid of it. It is that sense of calling for us, church. You're, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You have to take a stance. You can't manage it. If you try, it can seduce your soul. If it is in, truly an idol in your life. You can't manage it. I knew a guy one time, he loved money. You guys, maybe you know something, always talking about how much money he has. I mean, every, you, you saw him coming. And you're like, I wonder how much he has today. You know what I'm talking about? He always wanted to talk about how much money he made and, and how wealthy he was. He would find something so he could navigate the conversation all the way around just to tell you he got a lot of money. And so one day, the preacher in me came out I said to him, I said, do you tie that money? (laughs) Do you give him back to the church? Are you giving back to the Lord? You're telling me all that. Every time I talk to you, you're telling me about all your money. What are you doing with it? And he said, no, I don't. 
I don't give any of it to God. I don't give any to the poor. I don't help anybody with it. And he was unapologetic, completely unapologetic. And I said, you know what the word of God says about the love of money? And I told him, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. He goes, yeah, I know that. He said, but man, I love money. I love it. He was honest. He was straightforward about it. And he said, I don't care what God thinks. I just love money. And what is it for you, church? Maybe it's your kid's sports. I mean, you put your three-year-old boy in that traveling polo league, right? You know what I'm talking about? He's going to be in the Olympics someday. I'm exaggerating, but I think we're getting close to that. So you put your boy in this traveling polo league. He's three years old because you know he got talent, and I want him to be well-rounded. I want him to have all these opportunities in life. And I'm talking, you're all up into it. Your life revolves around it. You're sacrificing the things of the Lord for it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with your kids playing sports. It's a good opportunity for them to grow. But when you make it everything, church, when it becomes your God, when everything in your life revolves around it, do you realize the message that you're sending your kids? Do you realize the message you're sending your kids is that it is more important for you to do that sport than it is for you to have a right relationship with God. Man, and I have called people out on that. And you know what? They say, well, I'm just doing this while they're young. You're teaching them and you're training them because I promise you, when they grow up, they're gonna find whatever they want it to be to put before God. It might not be Little League anymore. It might not be that traveling polo league anymore, but you know what? They'll find something that they want to replace that relationship with God and you're training them. We can't do that, church. Maybe it's your career. You're like, man, I gotta work. I gotta work hard. You should work. You need to supply for your family, but is your career completely seducing you? That I, I have to give my family more, you know, I have to be more successful. You know, I don't care that my marriage is screwed up. I don't care that my children are on a troubled path and they're heading down the wrong road. My career is important. You know, Jesus came across this guy in, in Mark chapter 21, chapter 10, I mean, verse 21. It's a guy that loved money, and Jesus looked at him. I love this, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I'm going to stop right there real quick. He loved him. Do you understand what they're saying there? He loved him so much, he's like, I'm going to tell you. I recognize where you're struggling. I love you. And I'm going to tell you, he said this. He said, there's one thing you lack, Jesus said. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you come follow me. Jesus loved this guy enough to tell him. Basically, church, this guy was the one who loved money. He loved money. He was seduced into settling for the counterfeit. He was seduced. And I don't believe that Jesus would ask every single one of us, you sell everything you got and come follow me. You give it all the poor. He was saying, tear it down. That's your idol. The reason you need to sell it all is because it's your idol. You need to destroy it. You need to sell it. You need to get rid of it. And I don't know what it is for you, church. What is it in your life that is more important in your soul 
than the one true God. Whatever it is for you, I want to encourage you, you tear that thing down. You tear it down. Then what do you do after that? After you tear this thing down, after you get rid of this thing that is completely consuming you, what do you do? Because now there's a space. You got a space in your heart. Here's the churchy answer for you, okay? You fill it with God. You fill it with God. You have an empty space now in your soul. You've eliminated the thing, that false idol, that false God in your life. Now you fill it with God. Man, I'm going to just fire three verses for you out of Psalms. Three verses out of Psalms. It comes from Psalm 84, verse 2, the first one. It says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. Man, Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2, it says this. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice up to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint before I tell him my trouble. In Psalm 107, verse 9, it says, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Let's be honest, church. When you look at Psalm 84, this language in these verses, it's not what we talk about in our everyday conversations, is it? I mean, we're talking about yearning, fainting for the courts of the Lord. See, faint means to crave things. How many of you are craving the things of this world? That you need more things of this world Do you realize, church, our our souls can be poisoned? I'm talking poisoned by false idols. It means our souls should cry out for the living God, the one who truly satisfies. That is the one who will satisfy you. So this morning as I ask the praise team to come up here, I want to share a story with you I heard a long time ago. It's about this fish in the ocean. And somebody took the fish out of the ocean and placed the fish on the sand. And you know what, church? The fish didn't look happy. So they gave the fish a really nice fish house right on the beach and a big wad of cash. Is the fish happy now? <laughs> no. No, he's not. What is this little fish going to be doing? Of course, his gills are going to be moving, he's going to be struggling. So what we're going to do, let's give him some alcohol. Let him check out all the little hot fishies on the beach. But you know what? Is the fish happy? No, he's not. See, you can give a fish anything, anything and everything, and it will never be happy on the sand. Do you realize, church, this fish was not created for the beach The fish was created for the ocean. And now I want you to apply that to you this morning. Do you realize that you were created by the Lord? And you were created for a certain life. And if you are living your life outside of that, just like the fish on the beach, you're going to struggle. You are going to hurt. You are going to flounder. Because you were created by God for God. And here's what it is. See, your lives will be empty. Your lives will be empty. You will lower your expectations of what you hope to get out of this world. And I want to remind you, church, you are not created for this world. You are created for the kingdom of God and his glory and his alone. And your soul would never be satisfied. 
you would try to accumulate, you would try to put all these things in God's spot, you will never, ever be satisfied with the things this world has to offer. So I want you to know, church, you have no idea how much that I prayed over this sermon this week that it will get through to someone. I would love it more than anything if it got through to all of you because I know it needs to get through me. And I believe with everything in me, it needs to get through to you so that we don't get seduced, so that we don't get drug away. Because you know what? I don't want any of us to settle. I can't stand to see people settle. That they're almost there and then they settle. I don't want to see you settle for anything less than God's best for your life. And God's best is this that you submit to him and have a right relationship with him. So this morning as the music's playing, I want you to think about this. What is it in your life? What is it in your life that you are elevating to a supreme position, a supreme place in your life? And you know now because you've heard the truth. And once you've heard the truth, right, church, it can set you free. What is it that is keeping you from that right relationship with God? What is it you're placing above God? What are you trying to fill your soul with? So if you're sitting here this morning and I hit you hard, God's word hit you hard, I want to encourage you that there's hope for you. You no longer have to feel empty. You no longer have to feel beat down. You no longer have to feel downtrodden. The moment you recognize what it is that you put above God, and you destroy that, you get rid of that, then you fill it with him. And let me tell you how this works, church. You confess your sins to him. You say, God, I know I messed it up. That's hard for us to do, right? Nobody ever likes to admit they're wrong. But God said, I want you, I need you. You have to admit that you're wrong to me. You ask for forgiveness of that sin, you invite Jesus Christ in your heart, and you follow him in Christian baptism so that you may have the life and the purpose that God prepared for you in advance. So if that's for you this morning, if you're living your life outside of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to come forward, man. We will talk with you. We will help walk you through it. You feel God calling you out right now. And for the rest of you believers, those of you who accepted Jesus Christ, how many of you are being seduced by the world right now? That you are letting some things in your life get above that right relationship with God. It's time for you to turn it back over. You've done it once, you can do it again. God will always take you back, church. He will always take you back. So maybe you need to come forward and pray about it. Whatever it is, church, what is it that you are elevating above God this morning? I want you to stand together and sing, but I really wanna encourage you to respond this morning.